the Buddha's teachings are sometimes thought of or referred to as, as a recipe for happiness. Or as the science of happiness. It's important to, to reflect on this, to remember this, remind ourselves that this is what the Buddha was teaching us. This question yesterday, what we might have meant by talking about possibility and the possibility of what the practice might lead to or be pointing at, opening to possibility. And, and this is the possibility then, however we might hold or think about, relate to this idea of of a real, true, deep kind of happiness or contentment or peace or ease or all the different words we might resonate with in our own heart, mind. This is the the Buddha's teaching. Sometimes the Buddha is described as being like a, a physician who offers medicine, medicine for happiness. And it's said that after his awakening, after his enlightenment, the Buddha is said to have surveyed the world with uh, a broad kind of vast vision that he had and saw beings trying to be happy, trying to find happiness, contentment, peace, ease, satisfaction. And at the very same time, doing the thing, the very thing that led to their unhappiness, to their suffering, to dis-ease. It's important to think of, to really remember this, that he saw beings wanting, trying, desiring happiness, peace. And this is true. This is a, a truth for all beings, even those that we might be able to bring to mind and think, well, everything they're doing just is leading to their own suffering and the suffering of other beings. And they seem so, so off track for anything that we might think of as happiness. We can look around the world and see this, abundant examples. We see it in our own mind and heart at times. And yet underneath that, there is this movement towards happiness, towards peace. That's that's the, the movement there, the movement of the heart. But the Buddha saw that we have a a mistaken idea about what brings that, what brings happiness. And this is why we often find that in our attempts to move in that direction, to find this elusive thing we might think of as happiness or ease or peace, satisfaction, it, it doesn't seem to work. We don't seem to be getting there. And so it's worth then looking, what, 
what do we think of? What do we hold? How do we, what are our strategies? How, how do we try to find this? What are the strategies we employ in our lives in this search for something we might call happiness or ease? What is it that the Buddha saw beings doing in their attempt to find this that was leading actually in the opposite direction. And this is a big subject. This is a subject that we'll address in various ways over the, the entire retreat. It's really what the Buddha, his entire teaching can be boiled down to, distilled down to, pointing this misunderstanding out and the attempt to to give us a possibility of, of actually turning in a direction that might lead to a real kind of happiness or peace. Because if we look in our lives and look at our strategies, the strategies that we are offered as the way to find happiness, we can see that so much of it has to do with an attempt to control or manipulate life, our experience, so that it's a particular way, so that that it's the way we, we want it to be. As though somehow we can set up the conditions so that it's always the way I like it. It's always pleasant, perhaps. It's how I want it to be. The attempt to get people and things and life to to conform to my idea of how it should be, how I want it to be. And then when we can't pull this off, it's as though somehow we're a, we failed, we're a failure. It's, it's a sign of personal failure, as though we, we should be able somehow to do this. But our ability in this realm is limited, isn't it? You know, we we do our best to live as well as we can and to create conditions for ease and happiness in our lives. We, We do that dance with as much grace and integrity and and clarity and wisdom as we can bring to bear in any moment. But we can't make it be only the way we want it, right? Things unfold due to causes and conditions and it's, it's not ultimately amenable to our will. We don't have that kind of control. It would be like me trying to change this into a warm, sunny spring day. I felt well enough. I've been ill recently. I was well enough this morning. I thought, oh, I'll walk over. I'll walk from where I'm staying down by the Gaston Pond. In a morning like this, it's so undeniably winter. Right? I love that. There's just no getting around it. It is winter in New England out there today. 
It's winter in New England in here in the hall this morning. Right? It's we're all bundled up and you know, I had a warm jacket and I actually got too warm. It's uphill. IMS it's always uphill <laughs> to get back here, isn't it? You can't come to IMS without going uphill at the end. <laughs> so undeniably winter, right? Winter what what is that then? It's these causes, conditions, celestial movements, all of these factors that cause winter to come. And I can't say, oh, I, I want only springtime, that warm, sunny spring before it gets too buggy and you know, that perfect week or day that you might get where it's ah it all comes together. That's I want to let it be like that. Let my mind, my body only be this particular way. You know, let me not grow old. Let my knee not get messed up. So that I have to sit in a chair. I don't like sitting in a chair. It doesn't look so cool. <laughs> Teacher, I should be sitting in hopefully full lotus like this Buddha statue, but at least it's good looking as Yanai there. <laughs> But no, I have to sit in a chair because I messed up my knee. And one of my friends said, oh, getting old, eh? I don't, I don't like it. But can I say, no, no, I'm just going to stay young now and healthy. And you know, we, we can't make those kinds of decisions. We can't bring life to some point where it's the way we want to. And yet this is our attempt, isn't it? This is our strategy. Some way that we think we can exercise this kind of control. Or we have this idea, okay, these teachings, what the Buddha was pointing to, what the teachers are going to be, you know, the secret teachings that will come out one evening are going to give me this kind of control. And, And the Buddha's enlightenment then we say, oh, he just, it was always just how he liked it, right? He only had pleasant experiences. That's what we, we you know, if, if I asked any one of you, it, we wouldn't say that, but we're secretly holding out some hope that that's the deal, <laughs> right? As though enlightenment equals some kind of steady state where it's only pleasant. And it's only the way we like it, the way I like it. Not your version. I don't want your version of that. Your version might not be to my taste, right? So, you know, are you all going to be happy, content with my version of the perfect way, right? Is, is that what we're, we, we hold out? You know, that was, the Buddha had chronic back problems and bad days and encounters with people he would really rather not have had anything to do with. You know, he, he didn't have that kind of control. We don't get that. That's not the, well, what's being pointed to here. We're not finding a aiming towards some kind of happiness that is 
that is born of conditions being a particular way. Because our ability to control things is limited at best, right? And yeah, we can set things up and okay, we get the body, the seating posture, we get it. Ah, I got it. How long does it last? How long until it's like, oh, my butt. Oh, my knee. Oh, no. What did I do wrong? I did, I must have done something wrong. It changes, right? It falls away, that, that place of ease, of contentment. It doesn't last in that way. It's conditioned. And so what we're looking towards, the whole thrust, the aim of this is, is something that goes beyond that, that transcends that need for conditions to be any particular way. That's the kind of happiness, the kind of peace that the Buddha was pointing to. One that is not conditioned, does not depend on us getting it to be only the way we want it to, because we're never going to pull that off. So there, there is this possibility. And hopefully we'll start to get a sense, a taste for that for ourselves over the course of this retreat, over the course of our spiritual life. We start to get a sense for that, a sense of that possibility. And the way we do that is, is very simple. It's not easy, but there's a simplicity to that recipe. It's really coming into a kind of alignment with a connection, a direct touching of, of deep truths of just of nature, of the way it is. The Dhamma, this Dhamma of the Buddha. It's where Dhamma, I was speaking the other night, it points to these teachings. But it's also the word for the law of nature. It's, it's nature. It's the nature, right? That's our exploration. When we're exploring this mind, this body, this heart, just now, right now, we're exploring the nature of things internally in the body, mind, and heart, externally in the world around us, same, same thing. It's just the nature. It's like the nature that of, of the winter morning and the walking over here. And that cold and crispness and the direct touching of the truth of that. It's just the nature of things. And that's what the Buddha was was pointing us to, that direct seeing, oh, this is the nature of things. This is the way it is. And this, this nature of things, this truth of things, that that's always the truth, right? It's always there. It doesn't come into being at some point so we have the chance to realize it because we set up some special conditions 
or, or achieve some special state, have some particular kind of experience. Oh, and then, then it's there. We're, we're swimming in this. We're not separate from, we tend to take ourselves out of the nature of things as though somehow we're, we're separate from, apart from. And the consequences of this are, are vast and huge and immense and devastating in so many ways, on so many levels. And so what we're learning here through the willingness to just meet this mind, body, heart in the moment just as it is, what we're touching, what we're learning through that process is learning about nature, about the truth of of nature. We'll see, we start to see, oh, it's just the same internally, externally conditions that come together, these truths of the changing flow of all of this. We start to touch these deeper, more timeless kinds of of truths. And it's through the coming into alignment with that that we start to let go and relax and find the the way to a deeper kind of real peace, real happiness that doesn't depend on it being any particular way. So we we give back then to nature what we took on as our own and we, we give it back what we mistakenly appropriated as our own and then attempting to control and manipulate that. We give it back and, and the process of doing that is a great release, a letting go of a huge burden through that. And so, so this is one way we might hold this science or of the teachings, this recipe for happiness. a sense of possibility. And we'll say more and more over the days about this, pointing at this in different ways. So settling in now to the simplicity of the sitting posture. And noticing where the attention is just in this moment. And and this quality of awareness, of mindfulness, this knowing, this direct touching of our life. And that possibility is there in any moment. It's coming into simple presence. And we can rest the attention in the simplicity of body sitting. We, we sit, we know that we're sitting. It's, it's as simple as that. It's, it's knowing there is a body.
looking at how we know that. The direct knowing there is a body, body sitting, earth sitting on earth. Nature manifesting as mind, body, heart. The direct touching of that in this very simple way, it's enough. We don't need more than that. And it doesn't matter what it's like. It's just this. We'll take a moment just to let the attention move through the body as we begin this period of meditation. Letting the attention come first to the top of the head, the crown of the head, and down to the forehead. And notice if there's tension there in the forehead or the area of the eyes may find that even though the eyes are closed, there's a sense of looking around, looking at experience. We let the eyes rest softly in the sockets, relax. Go of any extra holding in the jaw and the sides of the face, around the mouth, or often we may notice pressing the tongue against the roof of the mouth, against the back of the teeth. Can we let the tongue rest? Releasing tension we may be holding there in the mouth, down through the throat and neck. Letting the neck be long, but not stiff. Perhaps extending through the back of the neck. down to the shoulders, often hold tension in the shoulders. Maybe even breathing into this area of the neck and shoulders a little bit, feeling the breath there. And on the out breath, letting this area release, relax, drop towards the earth. letting go of extra tension and extra work we don't need. And down through the upper back and middle back and lower back, feeling the uprightness, supportedness of the posture. But letting the natural curves be there in the spine, not holding the back unnaturally straight sense of posture, upright, alert, and relaxed. It's perfect combination. Back to the shoulders and down through the upper arm, the elbows and the lower arm, and down through the wrists to the hands, letting the hands rest easily on the legs, in the lap. And let the attention just rest for a moment in the hands. 
the experience of hands resting. Back to the upper part of the torso, area of the chest and heart. Maybe noticing the movement of the breath in the chest, heart, ribs, expanding, contracting down through the abdomen and the belly, letting the belly be soft, open, releasing any extra tension there, using the out-breath for this. Release, relax. And down through the area of the hips and the buttocks, We often find we may be holding some gripping in this part of the body. Can we let that go? Breathing into the hips, pelvis. Through the hip joints into the upper legs. The thighs and the backs of the legs down through the knees, lower legs, ankles, and the feet. Body sitting. This stability, supportedness, upright posture. And within that, the experience of the breath entering, leaving the body, this life force, this vitality of the breath, like food. Wherever we notice that, however we notice that movement of the breath, perhaps the sense of the flow from the nostrils down through the throat and chest and abdomen. Perhaps the feeling of the rising and falling of the abdomen in the area of the chest, the heart. not gripping the breath, not looking for it to be any particular way. It's natural movement. Using this body sitting breath within that, it's a place to rest to anchor the attention, not holding it, gripping it there. It's a point of departure, a place where we can collect the attention, allow it to sustain, gather. A place we can come back to, 
this place to begin again. It's always available. So the mind may wander or be drawn to sensations, to sound, thoughts, moods, emotions that may take the attention. We notice this, the mind has wandered, it's okay. Become aware of that. Notice, oh, it's like this, it's wandered, thinking, it's happened. Planning or remembering, notice that. And then we gently let the attention return to the simplicity of body sitting breath within the body. Return towards that. Rest there. Come back to simple presence. There's nothing to get, nothing to get rid of, no one to be.
in the walking meditation practice today, continuing to allow yourself to really settle into your body, to let this time be just for walking, so that there are really not anything, there's not really anything else we need to be engaged with. It takes a certain kind of gentle but clear self-discipline to engage in the walking practice because to a large degree we're not quite as held when we come in together into the hall. We're all here together. And it's actually really useful to make a clear intention for yourself to begin the walking period at the beginning and to practice through the walking until the end, just as we come at the beginning of the sitting with the intention and the commitment to stay through to the end. And there's a way in which we have to be quite self-supporting in that, that we're, in a way, on our own in a certain sense. And yet at the same time we can notice that we support each other and that the, the, the awareness of others around us engaging in that practice really can be an inspiration and a support for ourselves. And likewise, our own wholehearted engagement offers a support to everyone else. It can be that when we think of meditation in terms of how calm the mind becomes or how quickly we have a feeling of stillness or focus, that the walking for some seems a little more challenging. There's a lot more going on. So it's important not to measure or compare the different modes or experiences of practice beyond noticing for yourself what is supported and perhaps what is challenging for you. It can often be that because our sense doors are more open, there's more visual stimulus, we're moving, there's more going on, that we feel initially a little bit more that the mind gets busier more easily. If that's the case for you, it's really helpful just to stop and pause wherever you are, even before you've come to the end of where your walking path is sort of framed for you. And just take a moment to feel your feet on the ground, to feel the stillness of your body in the pausing. And then just wait a moment as you arrive before beginning to walk again. So that the, the tendency for the mind to start to gather some momentum can be really supportively checked, we could say, when we notice it, by also allowing the body to become still. And then beginning walking again. Noticing if there's a, a temptation or a tendency to want to go and do something else during the walking. The uh, attraction of you know, a range of hot drinks or the possibility of something we need to sort out in our bedroom. <laughs> Actually, probably we really don't need to do very much at all. And the more fully we can give ourselves to the practice, the more we will receive from it. This practice is not so much about what we get, but very much more about what we give. And giving ourselves to the walking. In that there's the initial noticing of the feet touching the ground, the lifting, the moving through the air, the returning to the ground, as Greg was 
instructing and demonstrating yesterday morning and actually noticing what it feels like. So the tendency can be to form something of an image or an idea about that. We think I'm lifting my foot, but actually we're not necessarily feeling what it's like. So it's really useful to keep coming back to that direct experiential element. Noticing the tendency for a descriptive overlay of thinking, which is it's not a bad thing, because at least the thinking is connected with what's actually happening. It's part of being present. But it's important that it doesn't become in any way or it doesn't in any way start to distance us from the direct experience. So just the noticing, the felt sense that lets us know that it's happening, as we've suggested. It's like, what lets me know that my feet are on the ground right now? It's this firmness pressing up. What let me, lets me know that I'm taking a step? There's the movement of the foot. There's also the shifting of balance in the legs and the body getting to know that at a very immediate sense, immediate way, can be so helpful. We've received one or two questions or queries with regard to lying down and uh, it can be that that posture is sometimes what's necessary if we have some significant injury or if we are not well, if there's some illness or sickness, and sitting upright isn't really sustainable or supportive for the body. And uh, so although there's the general suggestion to not just uh, allow oneself to slide into lying as a sort of a, a more comfortable option to the sitting practice, if it's the case that you're concerned about uh, an issue with injury or illness, m- make contact with one of us, as a, at least one of us already done, and we'll just speak with you about what's possible, what works in the way of uh, using lying meditation, if that's appropriate. It's really important that when we talk about here the, the willingness to engage with things not being as they are, as Greg was speaking this morning and as we've touched on, that sense of actually making space for it being uncomfortable at times, that there's also a place where we can recognize the difference between what is a little uncomfortable or challenging and what might actually not be good for our well-being. And it takes time to find that out. We need to explore. But what's important when there's discomfort or uncertainty in that experience of, for instance, with the body, is it okay to be doing this? Do I need to change my posture? Should I try a different posture? (coughs) To really be very much in touch with what's happening and looking for yourself to see what happens if I stay a little longer? What happens if I make a change? What's useful here? So there's an experiential learning and exploring that takes place. In a few minutes we'll be beginning the small group meetings that we will continue through the most of the days of the retreat with you, in which we will meet each of us with all of you in these uh, small groups, as we've described and you've seen hopefully on the notice board, that you'll have a group meeting either today or tomorrow. So you'll all have been seen either today or tomorrow in one of the groups. And then they'll rotate on alternative days so that each of us will meet with each of the groups. And uh, 
with that, it's a time for us to check in with you, to hear how things are in your meditation practice and your experience here on the retreat, to respond to any questions, to offer some support with any challenges, and to also reflect on what we might be learning or discovering here together. And it's really important that you do come along to the group meetings. Even if you don't particularly want to speak or don't have anything to speak about, that's fine. You can just come along and let us know that that's the case. But uh, please do come because it's the way we have of just (coughs) tuning in to what's going on so we can actually have a sense of what's useful and needed and what we offer. And also just to, to make sure that the, in a way, the potential of this retreat is so far as we're able to, optimized in terms of what it can offer, what can be received here for us all. And with the group meetings, when they happen, it's, it's important to come along as promptly and directly as you can if you need to visit a, uh, the bathroom or if you're thirsty, just to take a little water rather than uh, brewing up some sort of a enjoyable something to take. It's not, it's not a sort of a sort of a coffee meeting, sort of, or a round the teacups is maybe an English expression. I'm not sure if you have it here. It's not that sort of thing. Um, And whenever there are group meetings, if those people who do not have a group meeting could kindly allow those who do have a group meeting to leave first so that they're they're not caught at the back of the, the sort of the sometimes bottleneck experience of leaving the hall and can come directly to the groups. And in that way we can begin on time and hopefully end as close as possible to when we intend to. It may be that sometimes the groups will not finish in time for the members of that group to return for the next sitting. And uh, we'll tell each group how that works, if it should be the case. But if you notice there's a few less people, there hasn't been a mass exodus probably, but uh, maybe some of the groups are continuing. And that, and uh, it may be also with the groups and uh, t- other times with meetings and interviews that the that Greg or Catherine or myself need to come into the sitting late because we've finished the group, and although the group participants aren't coming in because the sitting has begun, we need to, or else the sitting won't end. And uh, so that seems like an appropriate way to do it. At this time, I think Group A, C, and E are meeting. If I remember correctly, if I don't, uh, I hope you remember correctly. And uh, the latter groups will be later in this morning. So if those people with the group could leave first, and uh, for everyone else, this time is a walking period, and we'll come back together again at 10 o'clock for the next (coughs) sitting. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.